Soper, and this is Teen People, the podcast where I interview real people who were in Teen People magazine as young adults. Teen People featured real teens in every issue, printing their full names, ages, and locations. This makes them really Googleable today, in a way that Teen People's creators might not have imagined when they founded the magazine in 1998. Where are these real teens now? Let's find out. So despite what you're hearing right now, I do not have a music budget because this podcast is completely DIY, but the song I would like you to hear right now is All Star, which is the title of this episode, and of course the 1999 song by Smash Mouth, so play that in your head as I introduce my guest. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know how it goes. It goes like this. That's enough of that. Onwards. I'm a librarian, and while this isn't a books and authors podcast, many of my guests are authors or journalists, like my guest in this episode, Amar Shah, who lives in Florida. In the late 90s, Amar was a member of the Teen People News Team, which was a remote opportunity for young journalists, like high school, university-age journalists, to support Teen People's entertainment and human interest reporting on the ground in their own communities. This was a great experience for these kids. I've talked with several Teen People News Team members who today have Vogue magazine and Apple and CNN on their resumes. Amar's resume is pretty long, too. He is a multiple Emmy Award-winning writer and producer who has written for ESPN.com, NFL.com, The Wall Street Journal, The Orlando Sentinel, Sports Illustrated for Kids, Slam Magazine, and The Washington Post, including a viral essay on growing up in a real-life quickie mart in central Florida. Amar was not only a Teen People News Team member, he wrote reviews for the Teen People Book Club and became a Teen People columnist, writing about personal finance for teens. By the time Amar was working for Teen People in his late teens, he already had experience creating content for a major print magazine. In the mid-90s, Amar became a kid reporter for Sports Illustrated for Kids, He was memorably photographed with Shaquille O'Neal on the cover of the May 1996 issue of the magazine. The two are wearing matching jerseys, shorts, and sneakers. Amar's uniform is not kid-sized. He is wearing ginormous clothes as Shaq picks him up off the floor by the shoulder sleeve as Amar peeks out from the neckline of his enormous jersey. It's a funny picture. You can find it on my Twitter and Instagram at TeenPeoplePod. The amazing thing for me is that I swear I remember this picture. I might have even had a like, free promotional copy of this issue of Sports Illustrated for Kids from a Scholastic Book Fair, or maybe it was a poster on the wall at the Scholastic Book Fair. In any case, when Amar reached out to me last year and sent me this picture, I swear I remember it from my own childhood. I don't know, I'm a very visual person. Speaking of Scholastic and basketball, 
The first book in Amar's middle-grade contemporary basketball trilogy, The HoopCon, is out from Scholastic Press in October 2023. As a librarian, I know that authors love pre-orders. It lets their publisher know they've got a winning author on their hands and makes it more likely that the publisher will give the author more book deals in the future. It's like me, as a podcaster, I love reviews. It lets the app know that my podcast is kind of a big deal and the algorithm should boost me up into more people's feeds. Which is me asking you to please leave a review of this episode before you go. So with that said, I encourage you to pre-order Amar's debut novel for the kids in your lives. You can find links in the notes for this episode or go to your local bookstore and ask them to set aside a copy for you when it comes out. So let's get started. As is typical for me and for this show, we kind of go all over the place. We talk about Amara's time in the teen people orbit, he tells me about his teenage crushes, and he shares a couple of really personal stories, one involving a dear friend he met online through teen people's news team, and the other involving the aforementioned story about his dad and the convenience store gas station that his family owned and operated when Amar was a kid. If you've seen Hari Kondabolo's documentary, The Problem with Apu, or if you've seen an episode of The Simpsons, you'll know what we get into here. We talk about Amar's viral Twitter thread turned Washington Post essay, where he pushed back a bit on the critique of Apu from The Simpsons as a racist stereotype. Now, that's not to say Apu isn't a racist stereotype, but Amar's perspective is actually one of appreciation and nostalgia. We'll get into that a bit later, For now, speaking of appreciation and nostalgia, let's talk about Teen People magazine, shall we? It was my senior year in high school, and I was on the local newspaper called the Orlando Sentinel, and we had a whole high school section. And I got an inquiry from my editor then that, hey, Teen People is hiring for this news team, and the deadline is coming up within the week, and you should apply. So I think it was like probably before the summer was over, I sent my application. I think I faxed it in uh, to them. And then they also had um, a website or they had a, a portal on AOL. And I got in touch with the, the screen names of the editors that were running it. And I formed kind of like a friendship and a bond with them and, you know, kind of double had a double prong approach where I wanted to make sure that I got onto that news team. So I kind of like um, pitched the digital version of it on, um, on AOL to those people there, along with obviously the coordinators and the people were making the decisions on the print side. So it ended up working and I ended up getting on to the first version of the news team. And I, uh, our coordinator, her name was Vicky Nam. And so she was awesome. And she had an entire team of young people at her disposal. And for a lot of us, you know, we were, you know, we were remote based, right? Back then, I'm going to steal your words and we were all connected via AOL. So we were all connected via screen name. So that's how we got to know each other was through our buddy lists. And I remember I had a whole teen people list and I got to know so many people, you know, via chat um, through that entire process. So um, after I graduated from high school, I went from Orlando, Florida, all the way to the University of Illinois, which is in Champaign, Illinois. So two dev- very different climates, two different, you know, areas of the world and areas of the country. And um, I had an amazing freshman year where I got to do so many different things with teen people during that time period, whether it was interviewing Tatiana Ali for like the first anniversary issue, or whether it was 
you know, me going and showing my, uh, my, um, my skin routine by going shopping at Walgreens and having a photographer follow me around, which is crazy. I didn't realize that I was in my Abercrombie and Fitch phase along with, I had dyed my hair blonde or I had blonde streaks. It was the first time in my life. I think I ever did that. And I think it was the last time I ever did that. So it was an intriguing time. You know, I think that what started off my interest in teen people was I actually was published by Sports Illustrated for kids. So I was a member of that timing family. I was lucky enough to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated for kids with Shaq. And remember at that time period, Time Inc. was like all the biggest magazines, you know, in the world were under that umbrella. And obviously all these years later, things have been broken up and print is no longer king. But, you know, for, you know, for the late and mid nineties, there was nothing bigger than, you know, Sports Illustrated for kids. And then when People Magazine branched off to teen people, I mean, you know, it was the akin of going, it was akin to going viral on Twitter. Getting your name, your byline in that magazine was huge. And to be associated with that publication, you know, you're, I was 18 or 19 at the time, was a really big deal, you know, because you were in all of the newsstands across the country and all of the different pharmacies and the grocery stores. And so in my mailbox in Canada. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, for me, what, what I mean, look, I won't lie. My what sparked my interest in team people was seeing Jennifer Love Hewitt on the cover. And I remember I actually bought the poster and it hung in my freshman year dorm. Uh, so I don't know how I got it, but I ended up like I still remember her in that iconic red sweater. And, and then, you know, we all went to that first anniversary party. I think it was in January of 1999, and that was an insane um, time period. I think it was about a dozen of us that flew down or drove down uh, to New York City, and we had obviously only known each other through um, through AOL. So meeting people in person was was kind of crazy because you form these bonds, you know, with all of these different people, and then uh, you know getting a chance to meet them in person was pretty awesome. I remember we went through. We did a tour of the Time Life building. We got to meet, you know, all the people that were on the editorial staff. And then, you know, later that night, I forgot where we went, but we went, I mean, it was, it was star-studded for that time period. Um, I remember that party, there was uh, the cast of She's All That was there. And, you know, obviously, I did have a, a small little um, crush on Rachel Lee Cook, who I think... Um, it was very reminiscent of either the, like the Natalie Portman, Jennifer. I can see a kind of a trend going on. Um, but Dulé Hill was there. I don't think Freddie Prince was there, but they were the members of LFO. Um, I remember Little Kim, Genuine, and um, Ananya, uh, who was one of the VJs from MTV. So it was like, it was star-studded. But I remember I was so heartbroken because I, was, I, was, I thought that Jennifer Love uh, Hewitt would be there. I think Carson Daly may have been there or may not have been there, but I knew that he was dating her at the time. So, and I was a little jealous, um, but she never ended up, uh, you know, going to the party. But we, you know, the fact that it was that first foray into like getting to see all these celebrities and, um, you know, mixed it, but it was more for me, it was meeting all those people that I, you know, got to, got to know online. And so that was pretty remarkable. You know, obviously we're all in our like late thirties, early forties with families and, careers and but I still you know through social media have been able to stay in contact uh with another uh, you know a number of them and but I've also even those that I lost contact with um I've been able to kind of get 
you know, back in touch with. And so it's been, it's been pretty cool. Your podcast got me in touch with Lindsay. And so that was cool because I, we think we completely forgot about each other. And then, you know, I was like, wait, she went to Dr. Phillips. She's two years, you know, and then, you know, obviously as the decades go by, you, you know, you form your own life and you get, you know, you get into the routine of, of things. And so it was cool to just reminisce about how impactful that time period and that publication was, you know, for a number of us, because, mm-hmm. you know, even after the news team, I got a chance to continue to be a contributor, you know, to the magazine. Um, I was trying to juggle, you know, being a journalism major with also being a finance major. And so the perfect combination I came up with was providing teens financial advice uh, through um, like a, like a semi column that I had, you know, for about a year or two with teen people when they kind of did a bunch of, you know, investment and financial advice. And I got a chance to be a contributor for that. Um, I wish I had followed my own advice, but, um, you know, it was still cool to kind of just see that, you know, my name was in there even after I had left the, uh, the, this official news team. In the late 90s, Amara's work literally did make its way into my mailbox in Canada. I have about a dozen issues of Teen People left in my collection, and Amara's byline appears in more than one of these. I have the issue in which he shared his skincare routine. The photo from that article is actually the cover art for this episode, and you can see he was a pretty cool guy in his bucket hat. I also have a couple of Amara's personal finance columns, where he shared top tips on how to manage your credit score and how to save or spend your tax refund. Amar also contributed to the Teen People Book Club, and as an emerging author, that feels full circle for him. It's so important that we have the ability to tell different stories for different people, and everyone has uh, you know, a voice that they understand and that they can empathize with. It's so important. I think that's what the Teen People Book Club was trying to establish even back then was that there was a book for everybody. And, you know, I remember my first review I did was on, I was never a horror uh, book fan, but I had a chance to interview, like I, my review was on Hannibal, uh, which was kind of crazy to think about. And then um, every month or so I got a different type of book, whether it was a mystery or whether it was, um, you know, a, a pop culture book. And so that was kind of cool. And I also got a chance to talk about my favorite book, The Great Gatsby which was like, you know, for me, that was, the, you know, that was the, the best thing was being able to talk about something that had such an impact on me. But um, I really think that book club was such a, I mean, it only lasted for a little while around because they had the book of the month club. And so they kind of combined that together with um, the teen audience, hoping to generate, um, you know, a new source of revenue. And I think it did really well. I think that it was around about a year or two, but, um, I, you know, getting free books, getting paid to read them in college, I mean, it's, it's in a sense, it was beer money. Yeah, it was your side hustle. Exactly. And, you know, Team People did pay pretty well. What was your favorite thing that you ever did for Team People magazine? So my favorite thing that I did at Team People magazine, it's still, you know, aside of meeting, the, you know, all these different friends that I've had for all these years, my favorite assignment was what had to be the photo shoot that I did for when I went to Walgreens. So this is a crazy time period. It was my freshman year. And they had assigned four different members of the news team and what their skincare regiment was. And so I was, I think I was the only guy at the time period. So, um, you know, I was looking up words that I'd never known before, like exfoliate and scrubs. And so I went to Walgreens and they gave me a stipend, I think of like $50 to spend 
So I bought, I think I bought CK one moisturizer. I bought, um, uh, I bought hairspray and gel. I had just frosted my tips. I think, um, I think Dawson's Creek had an episode where Pacey fraught, they got his hair blonde or something. So I was like, all right, you know, you know, this guy is going to get Joey. So, I, you know, I might as well take some inspiration. And so I was able to, um, yeah, so I needed hair, the proper hairspray and gel for that time period. But it's crazy. I, you know, I, I, that was my, uh, I have a cool photo from that time period where I'm wearing a bucket hat and, you know, I had my ANF outfit, my Abercrombie and Fitch outfit. And I was like, you know, I should have done better with the ladies at that point, but you know, I, I was cool. And so it's, it's a dope photo. It was my LL Cool J homage, but it was cool to see that spread in, an, in that, especially in that Lauren Hill issue. I look like I'm 12, but you know. Here's what Amar wrote about his skincare routine. Under a caption describing him as the maintenance man, 18-year-old Amar said, As a guy, it's tough. We don't wear makeup and don't care what hair and face products we buy. So when teen people sent me to do some shopping, I had no idea what to get. I decided the thing to do was watch TV for shopping clues. And there she was, smiling and beautiful, Jennifer Love Hewitt in her Neutrogena commercial. Neutrogena Deep Clean Cream Cleanser cleans two ways, deep down into pores dissolving dirt. Amar spent $88 picking up a Gillette Mach 3 razor kit, shampoo, aftershave, and moisturizer. He also bought a thing of hair gel to keep his hair in place and to keep it soft. Chicks love that, he wrote. The whole experience was a little embarrassing for Amar. He said the woman who rang up his products laughed. I'd rather leave the shopping to the girls, he wrote. Aw. But what's really cool, too, is that if you look at the different people, um, Megan McNamara, even though I haven't talked to her in years, we were, we were pretty solid friends. On the next page is Carrie Kravitz. So Carrie and I are still friends. She actually is uh, based in Los Angeles. And even though I, I lived in Los Angeles for a number of years, and though we, our paths never crossed there, we still stayed in touch. I remember at one time I called her because I was looking for an interior decorator for advice. And so we, we were almost going to make that happen. But um, and the other girl um, on page 140, Nadia, we went to high school similarly in Orlando together. Uh, we went to the University of Florida, and then we've, we, we're states friends throughout as well. And so it's crazy that she's still in Orlando. So all of those four people I've managed to somehow, aside of Megan, who I now you reminded me that somehow to figure out where she is these days, that'll be my little uh, LinkedIn hunt today. <laughs> The thing about Amar is that he was doing LinkedIn before there was LinkedIn, looking up the teen people decision makers on AOL, making those connections with the other news team members. He actually knows another one of my guests, Lindsay Soul Kirkman, who was also on the teen people news team and who later interned at teen people. You talked to Lindsay Kirkman. And so she and I went to high school with each other. And then we both um, went to college with each other. There are some friendships that I made on that news team that I still have not met in person, but I'm still in touch with, what, 25 years later? You get to know so many different people through that time period. And that's one thing I was really appreciative about that team people experience from the news team was that I stayed in touch with all the news teams that came through two or three years afterward. Because I wanted to be like a, um, a little bit of a, a help to them, you know, a bridge. And also you're meeting so many talented people. I mean, the... People I ended up interning or um, being on the news team with ended up, you know, starting foundations and going to Harvard and, you know, writing for Entertainment Weekly or becoming novelists or doctors or, 
you know, and, and it's amazing that all of them became really amazing human beings. And, you know, as you get older, you know, you change, but then part of you does it. And I, and I love that we all share that common bond with that magazine. And even if it's not around, we still have those bylines. We still have those um, memories of that, you know, that amazing time period. You know, especially with that, the, our team people group, we were all on AOL, right? And so we were all across the country in so many different states. So you got to know people on so many different levels because I was, I think I was one of the older members because I was the first one in college. So I was like 17, 18, and a lot of the other kids were like in high school. And so, you know, they're asking you for like, you know, advice on applications process. And, you know, we would talk, you know, newspapers and, you know, it was just a great time period to just be able to get to know um, what is now an entirely new generation. And I think for me, getting to like, you know, talk to people like late into the night or, you know, you know, because you're, I remember my phone bill was so high because I was always, you know, I was always online and my parents were always complaining to me about, you know, why are you taking up the phone line? You know, we're look, expecting a phone call. My modem was always buzzing and it was always talking to, you know, just all these different people. I mean, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the friendships that I met, which, which was really funny, there was a guy named Rock Shum who uh, went to NYU and he was on the news team as well. We met briefly at the team people party, but then we ended up working together at ESPN. And so we would always talk about that connection. And, um, you know, to this day, he still remains, remains one of my good friends. Hmm. And we always talk about that, you know, even though we never talked online, we met, you know, through the news team. And so, you know, it, it's, it's really cool just to see where all these different people made an impact. I mean, I just got in touch with Vicky Nam uh, about four or five years ago. And, you know, our kids are around the same age. And, you know, it's really cool just to see like her the impact that she had on me. Because she wrote a book a couple of years later that I ended up reading and getting in touch with one of the people there. And I ended up interning through that. You know, so you, you build all of these like links that branch out and connect. And, and Team People was a connector for so many different people um, throughout their life. Some of what Amar was describing here reminded me of one of the most iconic 90s romantic comedies, You've Got Mail. The premise of You've Got Mail is two business rivals, two competitors, develop a relationship over an entirely online medium, not knowing who the other person is. There's this scene in You've Got Mail where Tom Hanks's character goes to visit Meg Ryan's character, who is sick at home after closing her business. And he goes, he brings flowers to her, he makes tea for her, he tucks her into bed, and he apologizes for putting her out of business. He says, it's not personal, it's just business. And Meg Ryan's character pushes back and she says, whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. It's a reminder that the relationships we build online really can be very personal. And that is certainly true of one relationship Amar really wanted to share with me, his entirely online friendship with another Teen People News Team member. 
There was a girl named Erin Layden who was a member of the news team um, in the second year, I think, of 99. And we became really good friends on AOL. And we also became sort of like, you know, writing friends where I would send her some of my work and she would give me feedback. And we formed this incredible friendship through uh, through a couple of years. And then um, I would say around 2000 or 2001, I went on to chat with her and someone responded from her screen name to say that, oh, Erin's um, not here. She's in the hospital. And then a couple months later, I messaged again and her sister answered on her behalf to let me know that she had passed away. And so it was, you know, it's a, a gut check to you and it traumatizes you that someone that you had formed this real friendship with and someone who I didn't even know what she looked like, but she was a member of the news team. And, you know, we were, you know, I remember we had such epic conversations and arguments and disagreements. And, you know, you know, we, she was a year or two younger than me, but, you know, 18, 19, 19, 20. And, you know, I saved a lot of those conversations, right? Because she, she was such a wise soul for that time period um, at that age. And, you know, and a lot of it was, you know, I would give, she would give back. And we had this great camaraderie. And when I heard this news, obviously, like, you know, you, you don't really think about something like that. But then all these years later, um, I was working on my first book. And I was looking, obviously, through, you know, I was, you know, I, I not only collect um, items and artifacts and letters and all that. I used to save conversations from, you know, great conversations online with people. And I had an old hard drive where I'd save those. And it was for the first time I opened them up and I was like, wow, we would talk for three, four hours at a time and have these like pages and pages of dialogue. And when I got back to Orlando in like 2017 from living in LA, um, you know, I knew she had two sisters and, you know, I don't, you know, it was weird um, to try to get in touch with them. But I got in touch with one of her sisters and I was able to send those conversations to her. And, you know, obviously them losing their sister, it was, you know, crazy, catastrophic and traumatic. But to be able to give to them her own words, you know, that I had saved, I think w w was, I mean, obviously it was probably very, you know, probably impacted them in a lot of different ways. But it, I think it also gave them something that her impact lasted on, you know, for someone she never met for all these years. And, you know, she sent me a picture of what she looked like in real life. And I was like, you know, it was just nice to know the name, you know, to the, to the screen name and the face to the screen name. And then, you know, her other sister got in touch with me and I was able to just share with them a little bit of her. And that was because of team people that I forged just like this incredible friendship. And we were both wanted to be authors and book writers. And, you know, I would love to tell her now that, you know, I have a book coming out. And if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would be the writer that I am now. Hmm. Wow. And um, no, it was because of your podcast. Um, I found, um, I actually found this like feedback. It was from February 22nd, 2000. And her screen name was Barry Pops 3 and mine was The Truth For All. And so she gave me feedback for like my first novella that I ever wrote. And she had like 15 points of feedback and I was able to share that with, you know, I sent it to her, to her sister and, you know, I'm like, you know, it's crazy. You never know the, the impact that 
people will have on you in in the in the most interesting of ways. Hmm, it's so true. I'm sorry that you lost that connection, but I'm so glad you were able to connect with her family. It was awesome to be able to connect with them and just share that story. And I hope it gave them, you know, something of, you know, a little comfort through all these years. I mean, I can't even fathom what they went through, but, you know, for me, knowing her, even in the, the digital realm, you know, that person had a huge impact on me. And to let them know that their sister still all these years later, it was talking to me, you know, I, I hope it, you know, helped them in, a, you know, in some capacity. What's one conversation with her that sticks out to you today? I think being able to peel the layers back as a writer where, you know, I thought I was the young F. Scott Fitzgerald and she'd be like, no, you're a 19 year old writer who's trying to find his voice. And so she was so wise, like I said, beyond her years and such an amazing writer. And, you know, she would share with me her work. And, and I think during that stretch of time, you were able to open up to people that you never would be able to open up in real life because, you know, you never met, you don't know what the person looked like. And so it gave you a little bit of more um, room to share a bit of yourself, you know, through the combination of all those chats, it was, you know, the feedback, it was like the retorts back. It was just like the camaraderie that we had, you know, about life. And I know she loved JD Salinger and I loved that Scott Fitzgerald. So we would talk, you know, Franny and Zoe and the great Gatsby and, you know, just being able to, and she loved the, the angels or like, you know, the Anaheim angels. And that was a big thing that, you know, her dad, I think was a big baseball fan and I was a big baseball fan. And, um, you know, obviously there is a character that I created in, in my book that was inspired by her that had her characteristics. And so I want that to be a little bit of a, you know, a homage or, you know, to, to honor her memory. Hmm. And, you know, it's funny, you talk to people all the time that come through your life, right? And especially with the ephemeral nature of social networks, you never know who you're friends with and who you're not friends with, because it's just, you know, it's fly by night. You know, these people are with you on a, you know, on a bus ride or on a train ride or on a plane ride, and then you get off at your stop, they get off at their stop. And lo and behold, but, you know, there's sometimes there's people that sit next to you and then they just have this you know, colossal and significant impact. And it might be stretches of time where you don't think about it. And then all of a sudden something will hit you and you're like, wow. And I remember kind of reading, you know, all this saved correspondence and I'm like, wow, you know, she told me to do this and I ended up taking her on that and, and going in that direction. And, you know, like I said, you know, when you're in that, those early like twenties or those late teens, um, you make bonds with people that can echo through the generations. And it's very, you know, it's really special to, to, to feel the presence of someone, even though, you know, it's just through like a virtual conversation and it almost feels very film like, but this is my, you know, this is my movie, right? And this is my special correspondence with someone that, you know, I had this special bond with. And, you know, you go back, you're like, oh, what were we arguing about that? And then you're like, oh, that's what it was. And, and it's just, and they're like your, your, your own jokes, your own, like, um, 
inner language that you form. And, you know, and it was because of teen people and it was because of this news team that I got to, you know, got to know her. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it, it was, it was really cool to be able to open up that box that I, you know, in a sense that had been tucked away and rediscover it and then be able, you know, all these years later to reach out. And I know it was, it was really tough probably for them to hear from me about someone that was so special to them, but I at least wanted to let them know that this, you know, Aaron was as special to me all these years later um, that she was even back then. And I think that's, um, it's obviously bittersweet, but I do hope that, um, you know, even with this podcast talking about her, and I really haven't, it's been a very, it's a story that I've never told anyone uh, in public before. Mm, thank you for sharing that story with me. Thank you for letting me have the platform to share this. And I hope, you know, it, it, it's nice to talk about her. I was going to move on here and ask Amar about his family and lead into the Washington Post article. But I had to pause here and I asked Amar if he had read this article that I read in 2021. This was an article many of us read. It went viral when it was published. It went on to win a Pulitzer. It was Jennifer Sr.'s article in The Atlantic, which was published a few weeks before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The online version of the story is called What Bobby McElvain Left Behind. I asked Amar if he had read it. He said he hadn't, but he knew the story I was referring to. I recommended it to him because his friendship with Aaron reminded me of the relationship Jennifer Sr. had with Bobby McElvain, who was her brother's college roommate. Bobby worked at Merrill Lynch, but he wanted to be a writer. He'd studied that in university. Jennifer was a bit older than Bobby, and so she was deeper into her career as a journalist. And she writes in the article about the correspondence she had with Bobby, the feedback he'd give her on her writing, the lessons she learned from him, and how his advice stays with her to this day. The Canadian author Margaret Atwood once said, a word after a word after a word is power. And she's right, but I also think a story after a story after a story is power. Put a story out into the world and see what happens, because every story has a life of its own. Jennifer's story took on a life of its own for me, involving me in a way I did not anticipate when I first sat down to read it. There's a recurring motif in the article, a line found in one of Bobby's diaries, life loves on. After his death, it became a family motto, but no one knew where it had come from. Did it come from a book or from his own writing? Jennifer searched Google Books, but found nothing, and so that mystery was left unresolved as the article went to print. But as a librarian, I wondered whether I could find a source myself. So I searched Life Loves On in the Internet Archive and found it in a book of poetry published in 1906. The book was digitized for the Internet Archive from the Library of Congress collection, which is why it was not available on Google Books. I shared my discovery on Twitter after I read the article, and when Jennifer saw my tweet, we connected, and now I have this wonderful, unexpected, entirely online connection with her. So I couldn't help but think of this when Amara told me about Aaron. The other reason I thought about Jennifer's article in this context was that Bobby McElvain had a Kobe Bryant story, 
which Jennifer writes about in her article as this kind of backstory trivia about her friend's brilliant life. In the early 1990s, Bobby McElvain was a high school athlete, and he played a basketball game against another high school athlete, Kobe Bryant. He scored 16 points off the future NBA star and his team. I mentioned this to Amar because I did my homework, and I know that he has a Kobe Bryant story too. I met Kobe when I, he wasn't even in the NBA. He was just drafted. And I got a chance to talk to him for 30 minutes. This was like the summer of 1996, or no, the fall of 1996. And he was in high school. I was in high school. Um, we were just talking about that life and him starting out. And it was, it was pretty awesome just to talk to somebody my own, my own age. Um, and that's when I was a writer for uh, Slam Magazine. And I, there's a really famous cover of all these, um, of Kobe and that entire draft class uh, for Slam Magazine. It's like iconic. And it was shot in Orlando. And then he's, you can see him, but he's hiding his hand because he'd broken his hand. So you can't see his hand. But then two years later, the Lakers ended up practicing in our high school. And so Kobe was there with Shaq, who I met again. But Kobe remembered me from two years before, and we talked again about that. And then, you know, it was, it was amazing. That dude gave his jersey, his shoes. So, you know, he gave me his jersey. He gave the shoes to some of the kids on the basketball team. And, um, you know, it, it was just impact, like, that kind of soul can have. And obviously, it's Kobe Bryant, so it's, you know, larger than life. But it was a small little story of, like, when I was, like, 16, 18 years old, that still impacted me all these years later. And, um, you know, obviously that's a bigger, higher profile character, but, you know, there's also different people like Aaron who have that impact on you on even more of a visceral level. Yes. Yes. Because it's so personal. Yeah. And, and like, and like I said, and then that was one of the beautiful things about, um, being online at that time period was that you are able to share parts of yourself that you would never be able to share with other people. And, you know, you're talking about your fears, your haunts, your, you know, like I said, your vulnerabilities and that other person is doing the same thing. And what I found out from Aaron's sister was that she was a very private person and, you know, they, there, there's probably things that they never, she never shared with other people, but she shared those with me. And you realize that when people are able to do that, that that's a very, important role that you have to them as they have for you. And, you know, I think, you know, now that I look back on that team people journey, that friendship was very, I mean, it's still one of the most personal things. And obviously I have friendships with other people that I talk to, you know, ever so often, but you know, that was a light that continues to shine for me. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, let me ask you about your family. Um, since we're getting into more personal territory here, you're a first-generation American? Yes. So my, um, my dad came to America in 1968 as a skinny 17-year-old who spoke no English. And he ended up coming to um, the Northeast in New York. Um, and then four or five years later, my mom was 19. They had just gotten married. And so they both started their life um, in this country as teenagers. And so looking back to see like, you know, all these kids and teen people like, and realizing even now I'm making that connection that my parents were that young and this country shaped them. And so 
yeah, I'm a first generation kid. I was born in Edison, New Jersey. I like to say that half the Indian population in the United States was born at JFK Medical Center like I was. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, it's, it's been a huge impact for me to, and now, especially as, you know, we're getting older to understand the impact and the sacrifices that they made, uh, you know, coming to this country, learning things for the first time, making mistakes, you know, making the right moves, you know, just being able to lay the foundation so I can talk to you today. And coming to the United States at such a turbulent time as well. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I look at the year of 1968 and it was, as you said, it was one of the most, you know, it was one of the craziest times in um, American history with obviously from, you know, Martin Luther King getting assassinated, uh, you know, the, the riots, you know, going on. Um, there was just a lot going with the Vietnam war. And I don't know whether he like had, didn't know it at the time period of what was going on or the, the time he was living in, but it, it's, it's amazing that they thrived, um, in the, around that time period. I mean, I remember my, like I said, my dad graduated, you know, in the early seventies when there was no jobs available, there was high inflation um, you know, and so he was pumping gas, you know, he was, he had a, an electrical engineering master's degree, couldn't get a job, but you know, he had to put food on the table and, um, you know, lo and behold, you know, that impact of, you know, pumping gas ended up impacting him to the point where, you know, he's like, look, I don't want to work for somebody else as an electrical engineer. I want to be my own boss. And so he, you know, was moonlighting as a convenience store owner along with working at Merck full time and having, you know, me and, you know, so my mom and my dad both ran that store with, you know, little old me in the corner. And, but it was that impact as a entrepreneur that inspires me today. And I think that's what helped me go after teen people to be like, you know what, that's what I want. I want to go after it. I want to be on that news team. And, you know, just like they did of hustling and bustling to, you know, to find that right opportunity, I took that same inspiration for myself and decided to go after the things that I want. Hmm. In 2018, you wrote an essay for the Washington Post in defense of Apuna Hasapima Petalon from The Simpsons. God bless you that you can actually repeat the last name because I can't. <laughs> um, you wrote about the criticism of Apu, uh, who's voiced, who was voiced by a white actor uh, and the criticism of his characterization as racist. Um, but you were responding to the documentary, The Problem with Apu, and you said, I didn't feel anger or defensiveness as I saw the conversation unfold. Instead, I felt a rush of memories of my family's second home, a Phillips 66 gas and shop in central Florida. You said that when you saw The Simpsons as a child, you couldn't believe that someone like your dad was on TV. So for me, my take was obviously a little bit different than Hari's. And I'm talking about Hari Kondabolu, who was uh, the director and the comedian who, who made um, the Simpsons documentary with Apu. And Hari and I have known each other for a long period of time. We actually interned together um, in D.C. And it's funny because teen people helped me get that internship. It was through Vicky's book that I heard about the internship program. And then I ended up... Uh, interning there. So, you know, everything kind of comes full circle. So when I watched the documentary, what I didn't understand is that he interviewed 
all of these comedians and all of these like famous people, but he didn't interview anybody or he didn't present anyone that actually worked behind the counter. And I thought it was a very, I didn't agree with his take. And I had my own story to tell that I think would shed more of a light and to give a little more nuance to this discussion, because I'm not saying I didn't agree with some of his points, but I thought there was a lot more, there were a lot more semantics that were involved with that discussion than, oh, it's just a, you know, a stereotype. Because guess what? There were Indian American families. My dad has an electrical engineering degree. So he's as, you know, educated as the doctor or the lawyer, but he decided to follow what his heart told him. And that was to, to buy his own business. And yeah, I mean, it's, is it as glamorous as some things, but you know what? So many of us lived that life. And I wanted to tell that story that I saw the lens of America through the people that came through that store, whether it was the employees that worked with my dad or for my dad, whether it was the local customers who came through, I got a complete 360 of life. I wasn't just, you know, speaking to one type of people or one group of people. I saw all of America and if it's good, bad, and ugly, and, you know, it's also, it's beautiful um, through, you know, the different businesses that my dad owned. And I wanted to tell that story. And when I saw Apu, you know, I didn't see this. Yeah. I mean, did I want to, did I like the fact that it was voiced by, you know, Hank Azaria, white actor? No, but I also knew that that character was also the most well-rounded of all those stereotypes that were on that show. And I think that's what I saw was, I didn't see a stereotype. I saw someone who, you know, was a full-fledged person, not just a personality. And I saw that in my dad. And, you know, Time Magazine called my dad the real life of Pooh, which I still kind of laugh at these days. But, you know, so many people resonated with that viral thread. Um, I think it did 11 million impressions, you know, and I think it got people from different sides of the aisle to have empathy for each other. And that, I realized, was a story that really resonated with everyone. You know, and it makes me remember how important it is that, you know, this, the lives that we live, though we don't think they're that big at the time, are our stories to tell. And the, like I said, the people that I met, the, you know, throughout all those years, you know, they become, you know, my guidepost um, and how I tell my stories to this day. When Amar reached out to me in 2022, he was so excited to connect and said he couldn't wait to be on my podcast. And I love that enthusiasm. I love his eagerness to share his stories. That's really the heart of this podcast. As a librarian, I think of myself as a story keeper. And as a podcaster, I think of myself as a storyteller. Before Amar and I wrapped up our call, I asked him the question I ask all of my guests, what advice would you give your younger self today? Think long game because all the things that you want to do, you'll be able to accomplish. Just be patient with yourself and also be patient for the right girl to come along because she will and you'll marry her, which I did. So I was lucky. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I had, um, this team people experience was phenomenal and I'm really excited and thank you for giving me an opportunity to kind of to chat about it. Um, I actually wanted to do like an oral history of Teen People magazine. And then I saw that you had already done it. And so I was like, you know, I did the oral history of the movie Varsity Blues when I was at the NFL as a big project. And so I love this format. What you're doing is, is, is awesome. So this is me my day. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. Thanks, Amar. All right. Take care. 
you too. When I began to edit this episode, I noticed that the word Amar used most in our call was impact. So I sent him a DM and asked him, what does impact mean to you? Impact, he replied, is a force, something that compels you further. It sculpts itself in your soul. This is why The Great Gatsby is his favorite novel. He calls it odd, profound. He encountered it in high school, as we all do, and it kept him up the night he started reading it. Gatsby represents hope, dreams, aspiration, striving for something bigger. It's what he sees in his own parents and how they've carved out their own lives as newcomers in America. I'm so grateful Amar reached out to me, pitching himself on this podcast with so much enthusiasm. He has shared some wonderful photographs from the 90s, including pictures of the Teen People Party and his pictures with Kobe Bryant. So please check those out on my Instagram and Twitter at Teen People Pod. And again, pre-order his book. You can also pre-order Jennifer Sr.'s book on grief, love, loss, memory. This is the book version of the feature article I mentioned in this episode, which she published in The Atlantic in 2021. Thanks a million for joining me. Hope to see you next time. I'm interviewing one of Amar's news team friends when she's back from her trip home from her adopted home in Scotland. So subscribe to Teen People, the podcast, not the magazine, because the magazine is gone. And you'll receive a message when I post a new episode. I'm always on the lookout for new guests. So if that's you and you'd like to talk with me about Teen People and how you're doing now, please connect with me at Teen People Pod. Take care, everyone. Bye for now. Bye.